Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Formula One-on-One podcast. Obviously, preseason testing has concluded, and so, you know, the big questions are finally coming out. Who looks good? Who looks bad? Are there any teams that made major jumps in the standings? Are there any teams that look even worse than they already did last year? Lots of questions with a few answers or I guess a few ideas about how the season might shape up. But obviously we are going to talk about testing a bit today and then we're going to be doing our way too early preseason predictions solely based on what we've seen at testing. So as always, I'm joined by Sashwat. How are you doing? Good, Justin. You know, school is kind of putting me in the blender, as I'm sure it is with you. So kind of navigating all of that while still finding time to do this podcast, obviously, because we do love F1 and talking about F1. And I know the season will be great, obviously, what, 23 amazing races. So I'm very, very excited for that. Obviously, Drive to Survive came out on Friday. So I naturally have binged the entire season. (laughs) Um, Is that healthy? I don't know. I will not be taking any questions at this time. But you know, I I think Drive to Survive was a lot of fun. Testing was a lot of fun. Maybe I was just desperate for F1 or real-life F1 content. So maybe that's why I thought it was fun. I watched a, a fair amount, I would say. I was never awake for the morning sessions in Bahrain because that was 2 a.m. Eastern time, and I was not staying up that late. But I did wake up, and I was, you know, up around 8 or 8.30, and then testing wasn't over until 11.30 our time. So I was able to catch, like, a couple hours every day or an hour here, an hour there. So... You know, pretty engaging stuff, but I'm excited to talk about it all with you today. And obviously, this episode is coming out, I guess, technically a day late. But, you know, this is one of the things we're trying, seeing how Monday releases go rather than Sunday releases. But, um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, so I know you mentioned you already binged all of Draft to Survive Season 5. So I guess you can give me your quick picks as the best episodes. I'm going to be honest, I only watched the first episode and I haven't really mm-hmm. felt the need to continue. I mean, I'm sure I'll I'll take a look or eventually get through it um by the end of the right. week, but I mean, I have a pretty busy week and once the season starts, I probably won't want to won't want to watch it. But I mean, even with season 4, I wasn't like fully into it. Uh I kind of got mm-hmm. tired of it by the very end of the series, so I didn't really feel, you know, overwhelmingly like I should come back and you know now now that Max is back maybe I should but uh let me know what you Mm -hmm. think about the season so far because you're you're all the way through it aren't you yeah I mean honestly episode one Justin I was really really pleasantly surprised I thought the way they told the story was really good there weren't any of those drive to survive false narratives in episode one episode two really funnily titled bounce back just kind of deals with mercedes their porpoising this episode i kind of wasn't a huge fan of like the beginning is really good and they do a good job of kind of showing that mercedes struggles lewis hamilton talking about how like the car physically hurts to drive they showed a lot of baku where hamilton was like very much physically and visibly in pain after the race but for some really odd reason they choose to end the episode near silverstone Um, now I don't know, Justin, if you remember this, but Silverstone was honestly one of Mercedes worst races Mm -hmm. because George Russell DNF'd. It was one of only like three DNFs they had the entire season. He caused a pretty big crash for Zhou Guanyu, who ended up, you know, sideways and partially upside down in the barrier. And Lewis Hamilton, I mean, yeah, he did get the, the 13th podium at Silverstone, which is obviously a record for most podiums at any one track, but they kind of made it like Silverstone was the oh Mercedes is good now and 
they never talk about Brazil. They never talk about Mercedes getting a one-two in the season. Like, you just get like the uh, the radio clip and like the highlight reel, basically, of like George Russell, you are a Formula One Grand Prix winner from his engineer, and then like some of the celebration montage, and then that's kind of it. And that's all the way in episode ten when they're talking about the end of the season in Abu Dhabi. I don't know. I found that really weird. I also think that like. There was this really funny clip in the Baku-like team principals meeting where Total Wolf goes into a room and he just yells at all of the other team principals and basically accuses them of not being concerned of driver safety. And he's like, oh, well, if someone ends up on the w- in the wall and it was because the car suspension was too stiff and they were porpoising, it's going to be like, I think basically like blood on your hands, which was like, not obviously not what he said, but like he was very, very aggressive and honestly it was just kind of funny seeing that like mercedes was the only team really struggling with it this badly so that was that episode three i thought was really good it dove into all of the strategy failures that ferrari had and i think it did a really good job you know obviously mattia was kind of the or ex ferrari team principal mattia binotto was kind of the villain of this episode so to speak but he he always had this like very go with the flow kind of you know like we're a team like we don't pick drivers blah 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 kind of mentality that's not really conducive in formula one and obviously it cost him a lot episode four was the pseudo haas episode i mean it was an episode about mick schumacher they don't talk about him getting dropped and the episode is titled like father like son Obviously, I don't think Mick Schumacher is going to be a seven-time world champion in Formula 1. I don't think he's ever going to be a Formula 1 world champion. But they ended the season, or the episode, excuse me, on basically him uh, scoring points at Silverstone. So I guess that was like a nice little thing for him to have. And, you know, it was a nice kind of wholesome ending. Episode 5, kind of pardon my French. I guess 5 and 6 kind of go to that pardon my French and nice guys finish last which, by the way, are two great episode titles, kind of dove into the silly season, the summer break shenanigans between Fernando Alonso leaving for Aston Martin and Oscar Piastri refusing to drive for Alpine, and then the lawsuit that was never really a lawsuit, and then the decision. And I felt like that episode, those episodes were kind of underwhelming. Um, they also kind of just hand wave Daniel Ricciardo's departure from the team. They don't talk about his huge buyout. That's so I depressing. thought that was. I thought that was a little weird. Um, I, I thought these episodes were pretty interesting. They were kind of like slow and boring and dry, honestly. There is a really cool bit about Peter Gasly and how he obviously joins Alpine for the 2023 season, and that was really good. Episode 7 is where I sort of saw... Or, well, yeah, yeah. Episode... Well, actually, I'll say one more thing about episode 5 and 6 is that they painted out this kind of rivalry between... Pierre Gasly and Daniel Ricciardo as who would get the Alpine seat and I don't know that that was ever a rivalry that actually happened so you know there's a drive to survive like false narrative going on there episode 7 hot seat talks about uh Perez going into Monaco now the episode is framed as if Checo had like a horrible start to the 2022 season but he didn't like he yeah, was wasn't on podium second by like race five. Some or what? No, I he was behind was... Charles most of the. Most yeah, of the but year, the point actually. is, he wasn't like he wasn't driving poorly. I mean, 
he had a pretty good 2021. I mean, obviously, he did a great job at the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. He won a race in 2021 in Baku. And then all of a sudden, they're like, yeah, Perez has had a slow start to 2022. Meanwhile, like, Red Bull had gotten a 1-2 in Imola. They had done, Perez had been on the podium more than once. Like, I don't know where this was coming from, so I thought that was really annoying. And then they show him winning Monaco, and then all of a sudden, they extend him as the driver. So I thought it was really weird way to frame Monaco. Also, Monaco is like the sixth or seventh race of the season. Like, mm-hmm. there's no there's no major drama that's built up at that point. Sure. Now, episode eight was kind of like the weird episode of the season, I would think. It was called Alpha Male, and it just talks all about Yuki Sonoda, and it makes him seem like he's going through like a depressive episode that Pierre Gasly is leaving AlphaTauri. Like, he's super sad, but then it also talks about how he needs to step up, and then it talks about, oh, well, Nick DeVries is coming to AlphaTauri. Like, is Yuki going to be able to handle the pressure of someone like Nick DeVries, who has won in F2 and has won in Formula E? I thought it was interesting, but definitely probably my least favorite episode of the season. Over the Limit is about Red Bull's cost cap breach, and... You know, Justin, this was simultaneously probably my second least favorite, but also my favorite episode. Oh my god. Least favorite, because, like, the way this episode ends is not at all what you think it would end like. They start the whole episode off with, like, oh, Red Bull broke their cost cap, blah, blah, blah. And then they end the episode with Max and Red Bull winning in Austin and saying that it's a good thing because they won the race in honor of obviously the recently then passed away founder of Red Bull Dietrich Marschitz um so they don't so they play so they play the angle that um it's a good thing they broke the regulations because it allowed them to um honor their founder is almost sort of like they show that like Horner is complaining that like when Max won WDC in Japan that like oh all the headlines are going to be Red Bull broke the cost cap Red Bull broke the cost cap and then they go into Austin obviously the next race and then Dietrich Mateschitz passes away and then everyone in the Red Bull garage is depressed about everything and then they win the race and they're like oh look it's sunshine and rainbows and then they don't ever talk about the penalty Red Bull actually got for breaking (laughs) the cost cap I thought it was cool (laughs) though because literally it's like so ridiculous and then I thought it was cool because there was a lot of, well, I mean, like half the episode was focused around Circuit of the Americas, and obviously we were there this past yeah, year. So I need to watch that one then, but of course it's the cost cap episode that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like it was cool to see like, you know, turn one during the race and like Carlos Sainz getting spun, and I was like, oh, hey, like I was like 50 to 100 feet away from all these things happening, so <laughs> that was pretty cool. And then the final episode was just kind of Abu Dhabi and then... Ferrari potentially maybe getting to lose P2 and the constructors to Mercedes, Mercedes coming back, blah, blah, blah. It was just like the standard Drive to Survive season finale episode. Mm -hmm. Um, Two things that really struck me as weird in this season, no Valtteri Bottas in this episode or in this season at all. No like sit down interview or anything. No like major Alfa Romeo either like just some things about Zhou Guan Yu some interviews with him when he like crashed um there was I don't think any Williams I think maybe Albon had one thing but and maybe Capito had one thing but no Latifi there was also I think maybe like a total two minutes of Sebastian Vettel there was nothing about him retiring um but there's actually a really funny thing Justin I don't know if you've seen this on TikTok or Twitter where uh, there's a clip just as Seb retires. They like they obviously sh- they showed all the drivers 
his retirement video on Instagram, and they obviously give Checo the phone, and they're like, oh, go look at Seb's Instagram, and Checo's like, huh, Seb has Instagram? What am I missing now? And then he sees, like, Seb sitting down in this black and white video, and he starts, like, giggling, and then Seb goes like, I announce my retirement by the end of the 2022 season. And then it's like uh, a stinger sound. And then Checo having a shocked meme expression on his face, um, which I thought was really funny. But overall, Justin, I thought this was like a rather tame season of Drive to Survive. Like, obviously nothing crazy, crazy happened on track, like in 2021 for season four to cover. But I still think in terms of the narrative they built and the stories they told, I thought it was actually very well made and honestly a very good, um, what's the word, switch from the norm for Drive to Survive. I don't think they really over-dramatized anything, which was really good. And I thought it was a very good way to kind of give viewers some content during testing and kind of lead into testing. But that's kind of it for Drive to Survive, and I know I've been talking for a while about it, and I had fun watching it, but I think we're ready to talk about the actual cars that were on track this weekend in Bahrain and what happened, because there honestly was a lot of surprising things that happened. I mean, you know, Aston Martin, you know, Alfa Romeo, McLaren, some of these teams are kind of all over the place, and I'm interested to see what your thoughts are on all of this. Yeah, well, you have it listed last in our notes, Doc, but I think it's probably one of the biggest stories of the weekend, and it's that McLaren has just absolutely missed what they were going for and they're being pretty open about the fact that they're Mm -hmm. not where they want to be um the car looked absolutely awful to drive for both lando and oscar and they both did not seem happy at all um with how it was performing and then in an interview zach brown said we know we set some goals for development which we didn't hit and we felt it was better to be honest about that Like everyone, we have a lot of development coming, so we are encouraged by what we see around the corner, and I think we will be going into the first race off of our projected targets, but it is hard to really know where that means we will be on the grid. I mean, this is just like last year, right, where McLaren were just like horrible in preseason testing, or um, I forget, they had like some sort of issue that like made it harder for them to test, and it's just, oh god, I feel bad for Lando Norris if this car is really just that bad because one, it's going to make Daniel Ricardo kind of look like he was in the right. Um, and just in terms of the fact that like he said the car wasn't good, but we we're like, Hey, look, Lando Norris said it was good, but you know, this is a different car as well. So, you know, can't completely um, say Daniel mm-hmm. Ricardo was right based on that, but also because then it's going to make um, what I guess a lot of people want not happen. I think most people want McLaren back towards the front of the grid. I just think, yeah, at least in the Americas, there's lots of McLaren fans. So, mm-hmm. you know, lots of people who I talk to F1 about care about McLaren. So I guess I also like enjoy seeing how McLaren are doing. Right. Uh, you know, Drive to Survive has built their brand pretty well here. So it will be disappointing if, you know, one of a, a generational driver like Norris and then a rookie with Piastri don't really get to see the kind of car you would want to see them in. Yeah, I mean, I... I almost hesitate though with the whole daniel ricardo thing and i know he's not no no yeah that was that was kind of a misguided statement no and i like i i really hope though that if the mclaren is garbage that the narrative does not suddenly shift to daniel ricardo was right like when we look at it very objectively lando norris was out driving that car to the point where he was getting p7 p8 Mm -hmm. in a car that probably wasn't even points worthy for sure and you know, we obviously remember this, and I obviously made the mistake that 
of not ranking it higher, but Lando Norris was the only non-Big 3 driver to be on the podium last year. I think that's a pretty wild kind of notion to have, and the fact that Lando was able to do that is amazing, and maybe that's going to be what McLaren is again this year, where they just, it's Lando Norris or bust when it comes to points. I mean, I think Oscar Piastri is definitely an improvement over Daniel Ricciardo, but Mm -hmm. again, he's a rookie, and you know, while rookies do have this kind of pressure on them, there's also that lack of expectation where like, okay, if you don't have the best season in the world, no one is going to totally and utterly crucify you. But I don't know. I, like you said, I mean, I I obviously hope McLaren does well. Lando Norris deserves probably a better car than he's had. I think the last time he had a really good car was 2021, which honestly wasn't like it was forever ago, but it does Mm -hmm. feel like forever ago considering how bad the 2022 season was for them. But, you know, hopefully Lando Norris race winner is a is a thing we get to say in 2022 because he den- genuinely is, like you said, a generational talent. But I guess I guess the question that stems from this, though, Justin, is obviously looking very forward is if McLaren have another down year in 2023, do you think he looks for a buyout? Do you think anyone <laughs> can buy him out, will buy him out? I honestly have no idea. I don't even know how contracts are like typically structured in mm-hmm. F one enough to know like if that's even a feasible idea. I mean, I know for a fact he's like, you know, how long is his contract with them right now? It goes doesn't... through the twenty twenty five season. Yeah, so who knows? I mean, maybe if a team is one driver away from being like much better, which I don't think any mm-hmm. team is. Maybe if you look at like. Maybe if you look at like Aston Martin, if they turn out to be really good this year and then yeah. Fernando Alonso finally decides to retire and then, you know, mm-hmm. the big five-year plan from Lauren Stroll was just to get Lando Norris once McLaren is bad, then cool. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. I don't think anyone is going to buy him up mm-hmm. as of right now. It would be it would be crazy if that happened, though. I That's mean, that fair. would just be the biggest downfall ever for McLaren. Yeah, I mean, Lando's contract started last year, so this is the second year of a four-year extension, and it was £80 million for four years. I think that's a pretty that's going to result in a pretty hefty buyout, so I don't, like you said, I don't, I don't really foresee any of that happening. But I guess going the other way, a team that positively surprised us, Justin, Aston Martin, yeah, exactly. really, really came out of the gates and kind of showed after... Well, actually, we should say 10 minutes into day one of testing, Felipe Drugovic, I believe, caused a red flag or the Aston Martin kind of crapped out on the track. So I think that was kind of funny. But um, after that, it was pretty smooth sailing for Aston Martin. I mean, it got to a point, Justin, where Fernando Alonso on a set of medium tires did a faster lap than mm-hmm. Lance Stroll did in Bahrain qualifying last year on Suns. Wow. And I know all the teams had significant time gains between Quali last year and obviously Bahrain testing this year. That is to be expected. But, you know, I think it, it does say something. You know, Fernando Alonso is clearly getting the best out of that car. The car clearly has made some improvements between last year and this year. And I feel that Aston Martin are probably set to make some sort of big climb up the standings. You know, I'm not a big Alonso fan myself, but I am a fan of Aston Martin. And to see them do well is really great. Now, the interesting thing, though, Justin, is that a few days, or I think maybe even a week before preseason testing, Lance Stroll had a biking accident. Reportedly, he fell off his bike. I don't know if this was a stationary bike or like a... a, God, a, I, whole, like a I sure hope it wasn't a stationary bike. That'd be... <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and he sustained some level of wrist injury. Now, some sources are reporting that he has broken both of his wrists, and Aston Martin is kind of covering it up and hush-hushing it. And others say it's just like a wrist injury and that he might be out for at most the Bahrain Grand Prix, in which case Felipe Drogovic will drive for Aston Martin. Now, I don't know, Justin, but like, <laughs> I-, I don't even know what to think of this. Like, do you think there's a world in which a Lawrence Stroll owned Aston Martin doesn't have Lance Stroll as one of its main drivers? Um... I don't think... I mean, I think as long as Lawrence Stroll is there, Lance Stroll is also there. Or, I mean, I guess the other way. Um, No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had it the right mm-hmm. way the first time. But, like, obviously his son wants to be an F1. And his son, whether people like it or not, is a serviceable F1 driver. I think he's more than fine. I mean, he was pretty close in the standings to Vettel last year, I think. One sec, I'm doing a quick detour to check the driver's championship. So... Aston Martin, Sebastian Vettel with 37 points. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, Landstroll had less than half the points of Vettel. Yeah, he only had 18. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was a lot closer. Okay, now I'm not too sure. Um, I would have to look at how he did against other drivers in previous years. But, oh, yeah, I God. Mean, his last teammate before Vettel was um, Perez at Racing Point. And then I guess... Well, Alcon? in 2021, Vettel had 43 and he had 34 so yeah. I wonder I wonder if maybe he's not as bad. Maybe he just had like a down year. And then Oh, and then, and then the year before in 2020, uh Checo came in P4 in the drivers championship with 125 and Lance yeah. came in 11th with 75. Yeah. So, you know, he is clear. I don't know if quality is maybe the best is the thing he offers, but you know, he's probably always going to have a seat, but you know, I'm interested to see what Aston Martin do, Justin. I mean, I know it's just testing, and I know a lot can't really definitively be said about, you know, Aston Martin or anything like that, but mm-hmm. hopefully it'll work out positively for them. One team that I know, going back to the disappointment, is Alfa Romeo. Um, unfortunately, Justin, it looks like they have fallen off the car. It looks really good, like, aesthetically but it does not look really good when it comes to driving. It looked a little, you know, it looked not great, which is interesting to say because it was the only team that met the minimum weight last year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you'd think that as a light car that, uh, you know, there's uh, there's something going on there. But I don't know. I really hope that Bottas and Zhou Guan Yu have some sort of good car because last year the reliability of the car, the performance of the car really let them down a lot. There were times where... Joe was definitely in points contention and the car definitely let him down. So I'm really hoping that that doesn't become the same point again. I don't know that there's much else to discuss with Alfa Romeo. I mean, I really just hope they're not at the bottom. I mean, in terms of teams at the bottom, it looks like it's going to be them and Williams. Mm -hmm. I feel bad for Logan Sargent and Alex Albon, but, you know, if anything, driving a bad Williams car probably gives you the most amount of slack on the F1 paddock, both from team principals um and you know the fans as well as and the media so maybe it's a good place for them to be they can outdrive the car and show that they are really capable f1 drivers despite what the results might show mm-hmm. now mercedes justin the interesting team last year obviously struggled a lot with porpoising at testing this year they don't have that issue this year the car is back is back to black the the scary black mercedes that you know in 2020 and 2021 people really really feared 
is this the year of the Mercedes return? Who knows? Is this just another Mercedes sandbag? Is this actually sandbagging? Are they actually just mid again? Are they just going to be P3 again? I have no idea. Yeah. Um. I think the 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 words around the paddock are that Mercedes definitely had the engine and the or the power in the engine turned down this weekend. They were also running a very high downforce wing setup this weekend, so they were generating a lot of downforce. They were doing well in the corners, but they were doing horrendously in the straights. The car was really draggy, and I don't know if that was a result of them kind of doing like a W13 plus or W13.5 kind of car to start the season off. Maybe they're still trying to sort out some issues and what caused all of that, but Mm -hmm. Total Wolf did come out and publicly say that the first major update package will be at round four, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in Baku. So maybe then or after that is when we will see the Mercedes really come into form. I mean, I don't think they're going to be a bad car. I mean, obviously, we did say the Mercedes was a garbage car last year. But, you know, when P3 is your bad year, I think that really says something about, you know, the kind of standard your team has. So I'm interested to see. I think, you know, Justin, feel free to disagree with me here on this. But I think Lewis Hamilton and George Russell is probably one of, if not the strongest driver pairings on the grid. I mean, I'd probably take them in, haha, Nico Rosberg equal machinery any day over any of the other pairs if I had to. But mm-hmm. I think that they do stand a good chance of being a really, really strong team and hopefully no Hamilton Rosberg incidents between them. But I think if they can work together really well, I mean, maybe they do stand a really good chance of the Constructors' Championship, or maybe one of them can even push Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc for that uh, World Drivers' Championship as the season goes on. <laughs> I don't know about that, but hey, you know, we also should look at some of our predictions from last season and then point and laugh at how wrong we were. But yeah. Um, but you know, another thing just that stood out to me, the Ferrari and Alpine are both still porpoising. Embarrassing. How are you going to, I don't know. Porpoising in the year of 2023 is embarrassing. Yeah. I don't know how given a full year, you're still having that issue. Now, I don't know if that was just the car kind of bouncing a little on the bumps, but it looked a lot more noticeable on the Alpine and the Ferrari than it did on any of the other cars. So I'm going to say that that was just porpoising and not a softer suspension because soft suspensions aren't really allowed anymore ever since 2021's regulations ended. So I don't know, Justin, I feel like maybe Ferrari are in for another flop Ferrari year. I know Ferrari fans definitely have the, oh, this is our year. This is our year every single year. (laughs) But maybe this one isn't really their year. And, you know, just moving on to our last team that we'll talk about in the preseason quick hits is Red Bull. Um, you know, it kind of basically looked like they rolled out an RB18+. plus. They just made some quick, small updates to the RB18. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, is pretty much what I think their philosophy was. Adrian Newey is the godfather of ground effect design cars. I don't know that the RB18 last year could have been much better than it already was, and coming into testing this year, it seems like more of the same for Red Bull. Mm -hmm. You know, Max Verstappen on the first day was already pounding in 131s in Bahrain and, you know, the car got all the way down to the 130s. You know, I think Checo also showed that he can drive this car very well in testing. I mean, I don't think there were any major slides or any major issues. I think Red Bull, I don't know if they will necessarily be as dominant as they were last year, but I think Red Bull are almost certainly still the team to beat. I I don't see a I don't see a world in which that 10% wind tunnel impact has really hurt them so much to the point where 
you know, their car is uncompetitive or is suddenly out of world championship contention. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see what Red Bull do. Obviously, the car looks exactly the same. Why wouldn't it? And, you know, maybe Max Verstappen will take that as a sign to repeat what he did last year and win 15 or 14 or however many races he won last year out of 22, which is absolutely crazy. But now on to the more fun part of our episode, Justin, the way we'll wrap this up our preseason predictions way too early preseason predictions we haven't even seen a single race we haven't seen any sort of competitive driving from any of these drivers unless you count practice starts as competitive so justin tell me i know i i can almost guess but i can almost i, mean, I can yeah. feel it permeating through the but zoom like, call that we're on right now but can you even blame me i mean they look the best in testing again they won it the yeah. past two years they won the wdc um, they won the WCC last year. My WDC is obviously going to be Max Verstappen, and my WCC will be Red Bull. They just look like the best team on track right now, and I don't think there's any reason to doubt them, especially mm-hmm. if I prefer them over the other two teams who are potentially at the front. Yeah, I think I, I would probably say that, you know, I, I think that Red Bull, like you said, are a very strong team. I don't know that there's a reason to doubt them again, or not that there was last year, but I don't think there's a reason to doubt them. I don't know, Justin. I mean, I feel like for WDC, I want to be a contrarian and just say, like, Lewis Hamilton to be that guy, or Charles Leclerc just to be that guy. But I don't know. It's really hard to pick against Max. Although, I guess I can say Max for WDC, but I don't think something is just like, I don't know, something tells me that you know, James Elliott, Mike Allison, Toto Wolf, the guys in the Mercedes or the the people at Mercedes at Brackley have have been cooking in the kitchen, you know, let him cook, let them cook. I think I think Mercedes may just have whipped something up in the kitchen for WCC to throw them back into contention. And I think this could be another year of split driver and constructor championship wins. I so I think I'll take Max Verstappen for the WDC and Mercedes for wow. the constructors championship. I just feel like I like the if pick. I had it's bold. I ha- yeah, I had to. I think I think Lewis and George will split wins more often than not, and I feel like that will just result in like naturally Checo kind of being knocked down, and unfortunately, like. You know, that's just, you know, how math and counting works that they will, Mercedes will have more points at the end of the year. But <laughs> most improved team, Justin, is our next prediction, our next kind of topic. But where do you see where do you see this award going to if you had to say right now before you saw a single lap of racing? Well, the thing about this is like I'm only going to choose from the bottom half of teams because I'm not going to predict like a Ferrari improved to WCC or McLaren improved to a top team A because McLaren is not going to become a top team. And um, B, obviously you have to pick someone in the lower half. And I think the only team that has shown they still look really good are Aston Martin. And like the other pick I was considering was like Alpine. But then again, they finished P4 in the Constructors Championship last year. So that's like a horrible pick. But actually, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it could be AlphaTauri, especially with Nick DeVries, you know, on the team now. They they could potentially be good. But I'll say Aston Martin solely for the fact that they look decent right now, I think. Mm-hmm. I I agree. I mean, decent question mark is probably the, the tone that I would also take with Aston Martin. Mm-hmm. I was struggling to pick for this question, Justin, between AlphaTauri and Alpine, but I think I will just go AlphaTauri because they do have more places to make up from P8. 
Alpine, I think, will probably dominate the midfield way more than they did last year. And I think, but I think AlphaTauri bringing in Nick DeVries and having another year under the developmental cycle will be really good for them. Now, there is the whole issue of AlphaTauri potentially being sold off and getting rebranded. So maybe there'll be some crazy things like when Force India got sold and it turned into Racing Point, and AlphaTauri might get sold off midseason and turned to like Andretti Global Racing or something in F1, which would be really cool. But also, I don't know that that would ever actually happen. But I think the team of AlphaTauri will probably will probably improve significantly this year, having gone through a year. And obviously, Nick DeVries brings a lot of experience and a lot of know-how from all literally all the teams he's driven for on the yeah. on the F1 grid. I think all the Mercedes engine customers, if I'm not wrong. But our next question, Justin, penultimate question, is most improved driver. Who do you think this will be? I think I'm going to go with Yuki just because he did so bad last season. I mean, what, he came... P18, I think, in the constructors with only 12 points. So he had a really bad year. I think AlphaTauri, you know, they're due to bounce back just because I feel like they are a good team. And, you know, having Red Bull as your mm-hmm. father team isn't isn't a bad thing. So I, I don't think he can get much worse. Yuki Tsunoda is probably mm-hmm. my pick. I was thinking about doing someone like Fernando Alonso if Aston Martin ends up being really good because I think that would be a very fun pick. But... Just because Yuki did so bad, I think that's why he is my pick for most improved driver. Oh, damn, I was absolutely going to pick Yuki. I feel yeah. like he was absolutely the the easiest, the easy pick there. But knowing that you've gone with him, I think I will go, Justin, with someone at Alfa Romeo. I think I'm going to go with Zhou Guan Yu. Ooh, very fancy. You know, I, I, am, I know I just talked about how Alfa Romeo probably didn't look all that great in testing and you know maybe it'll be a struggling year for for Alfa Romeo and Joe specifically but I just feel like last year he was let down by the car a lot and I feel like if he just had a reliable car maybe he could show us more I know last year when we were having these discussions before the 2022 season started you had mentioned Joe looked really fast in F2 at some points and I just wish we could see more of that I don't mm-hmm. know that there's necessarily anyone else who could really like get that most improved driver award. Like, I mean, if you look kind of like Haas, I mean, like Kevin Magnuson is kind of an established point. I mean, I think Nico Hulkenberg is certifiably mid Skyline Chili kind of beat, but I don't know that there's anyone else really who could, you know, be that good or like take that next step, especially with the car they have. But I think Fernando Alonso is definitely one to keep an eye on because if Aston Martin have somehow cooked up a a world championship contending car and we have world championship contender Fernando Alonso in an Aston oh, Martin, God. I think that would be absolutely hilarious. And Justin, our final question before we wrap up the episode here, rookie of the year. We have three rookies on the grid this year, Oscar Piastri, Logan Sargent, and technically a rookie because he has never driven a full f1 season nick devries so who do you think is going to quote unquote win this award okay so originally i was like okay it's obviously devries because he's the only one that isn't in a completely like horrible car but i've changed my mind and i want to go with oscar piastri just because i feel like even if mclaren are bad if he can like figure out how to get himself into racing with lando that could be like 
absolutely massive. And if Lando is frustrated with the car being bad, then it's a perfect opportunity for the rookie to just use it as a season to battle your teammate rather than a season Mm -hmm. to worry about, you know, a championship win. So I'm going to go with Oscar Piastri, especially if the McLaren car isn't that great. It's not like they're going to be team ordering him a ton because they're not going to be competing for wins or the WCC. Yeah, I think when I looked at these three rookies, I mean, immediately my mind was saying no to Logan Sargent. I think Alex Albon is just too comfortable in that Williams already. He's obviously had a year to drive in it, and Alex Albon obviously proved his worth last year in that Williams on multiple occasions. And I just don't think Logan Sargent coming in with no experience is going to really have a, a great kind of starting point. I mean, maybe he'll compete later on in the season, but to start off and for what will matter in a rookie of the year discussion i don't think you'll have it i i do think though justin i think i always was going to go with nick devries i think that nick devries having driven for let's see he's driven reserve for mercedes driven reserve for aston martin for alpine for williams and now driving full-time for uh alfatari i think he just has so much experience that most f1 rookies don't i mean Think about it. I mean, most Formula 2 champions do make it to the F1 grid at some point. He is a Formula 2 champion. Most FE, you know, most people don't drive an FE Formula E and then come back to F1. He has obviously driven in and won Formula E. So Nick DeVries clearly knows what it takes to drive cars competitively and put in race winning performances. Now, it does stand to ask, is the AlphaTauri that competitive of a car that he can show his talent? I think the big question here is going to be, does he beat Yuki Tsunoda in the standings? I think that is a bare minimum for him to to kind of get this kind of award. I think Oscar Piastri is probably the favorite if you created some sort of like hypothetical betting market for this. But I think, I think Nick DeVries would be a really good kind of solid pick as to who is the rookie of the year or who could the rookie of the year be. Mm-hmm. But I think, Justin, that kind of wraps up our episode. I mean, testing is kind of... It's difficult for us as viewers and not being F1 team members to kind of understand what's going on there and, you know, truly interpret the data that we're seeing more at, more than just like, oh, haha, look, cars go fast for the first time in three months, basically. But, you know, I'm excited. Obviously, the Bahrain Grand Prix is next weekend. Formation lap coming probably on Friday morning, I would say. We're, we're experimenting with our, our episode delivery timings. Uh, the season or at least at the beginning of the season see what works best for us and our schedules but also you know some metric analysis i would say but you know Justin, unless you have anything else i think i'm ready to go wrap it up and i guess continue our evenings but also get ready for this first race of 23 this season yeah i don't have anything else to add so you can go ahead and wrap it up Perfect. Well, as always, guys, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at F1OnOnePod. We are kind of restarting our activity on those accounts as we get closer and closer to the season. And once the season starts, we will definitely be more engaging in the Formula One communities on social media, not just kind of hitting up teams for sponsorships (laughs) or kind of being like, hey, nice drive, insert driver name here after every race. But I think that, you know, seeing what what we really kind of how we engage with you guys is is important but i think justin other than that we're good to go so have a good one guys thank you